بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين يقص الحق وهو خير الفاصلين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا محمد عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما رسائدر الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد This is the 25th session of our series on Islam's greatest personalities and we are discussing the lives and the legacy of the Anbiya alayhim salatu wassalam. We started from Prophet Adam alayhi salam. Last week we spoke about the life and the legacy of Prophet Ayyub alayhi salam. We learned many things that we weren't aware of from the Quran and the Sunnah. And today inshallah we'll be discussing two Prophets. Uh, again these two Prophets are not Prophets that we hear about very often. They are mentioned in the Quran. However, uh, we don't discuss them that much in detail. The main reason being that there isn't much mentioned about them. Um, and they are Prophet Dhul-Kifl alayhi salam and Prophet Al-Yasa'ah alayhi salam. So they are mentioned in the Quran. Um, not often. However, they are mentioned. Thus, we will discuss them today, inshallah, and understand what the Quran says and if there are any narrations or what the Mufassirin have mentioned in regards to them so last week we spoke about the story of ayub alayhi salam and we found that the story of ayub alayhi salam or the mention of ayub alayhi salam we found in four places in the quran two places ayub alayhi salam is mentioned alongside many of the other prophets and in two places we find that allah actually mentions part of the story of ayub alayhi salam so where Allah discusses the Prophet Ayyub in Surah Al-Anbiya, we also find a mention of Dhul-Kifl. So in Surah Al-Anbiya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِسْمَعِيلَ وَإِدْرِيسَ وَذَا الْكِفْلِ كُلٌّ مِّنَ الصَّابِرِينَ وَأَدْخَلْنَاهُمْ فِي رَحْمَتِنَا إِنَّهُمْ مِّنَ الصَّالِهِينَ so there's a mention of Anbiya alayhi salatu wassalam. Ayyub alayhi salam has already been mentioned. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to say, وَإِسْمَعِيلَ وَإِدْرِيسَ وَذَا الْكِفْلِ So Ismail alayhi salam, Idris alayhi salam, Dhul Kifl alayhi salam. English, Izakil. In English you may have heard a name, some people keep Izakil. This is Dhul Kifl. So the English version, or whatever version you want to call it, of Dhul Kifl is Izakil. So Izakil, Ismail, Idris, and Dhul Kifl, Kullum min al sabirin Allah is saying they were all from among the patient ones. وَأَدْخَلْنَاهُمْ فِي رَحْمَتِنَا إِنَّهُمْ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ And we entered them into our mercy. Indeed, they were from amongst the righteous. So this is Surah Al-Anbiya. Then the second mention of Ayyub alayhi salam is in Surah Saad. So again, same pattern we find. Allah mentions Ayyub alayhi salam and after mentioning Ayyub alayhi salam, then he says, وَذْكُرْ عِبَادَنَا إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْحَاقَ وَيَعْقُوبَ أُولِي الْأَيْدِي وَالْأَبَصَارِ إِنَّا أَخْلَصْنَاهُمْ بِخَالِسَةٍ ذِكْرَ الدَّارِ وَإِنَّهُمْ عِنْدَنَا لَمِنَ الْمُسْتَفَيْنِ الْأَخْيَارِ Then he says, وَذْكُرْ إِسْمَعِيلَ وَالْيَسَعَ وَذَا الْكِفْلِ وَكُلُّمْ مِنَ الْأَخْيَارِ 
So a similar kind of mention again, alongside other prophets, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, make mention of our servants, Ibrahim, and Ishaq, and Yaqub, ulul aydi wal abasar, they were endowed with ability and vision. Allah granted them an ability, a very powerful, strong ability, and also a deep insight and vision. Allah says we distinguish them with a special distinct quality. What was that? The remembrance of the house. Which house? The house of the Akhirah. So this was a distinctive feature that they had where everybody else around them were talking about materialism and this world. They came to remind people of the hereafter and they were convinced that there is a hereafter. And this is what they went around teaching people and imparting this knowledge of the Darul Akhirah in the minds of people. Allah says, among us, they are from amongst the chosen and the outstanding people. And then he goes on to mention and make mention of Ismail alayhi salam, al-yasa'a, in English, Elisha. And the Kifl, I've told you already, is a kill. And each one amongst them, meaning each one amongst the prophets, were outstanding, Allah is saying. There was no prophet that wasn't outstanding. Allah has said, Even the ones that we don't hear much about. We don't hear much about Dhul Kifl. Okay, you want you want imagine when you say Dhul Kifl, the image that when you say Ibrahim alayhi salam or Musa alayhi salam or Isa alayhi salam or even Adam and Nuh alayhi salam, because we hear a lot about them, we have a certain uh, kind of Im not not necessarily an image where we imagine how they looked, but a kind of um, we have this kind of deep respect for them and we have this honor for them. So Allah subhanahu wa taala is saying that even the ones that you don't know much about every one of them were outstanding and this form parts of our creed that we believe in all of the prophets in the previous stories of the prophets we found for example in the story of the people of shu'ib alayhi salam allah said al-aika meaning the people of the woods shu'ib alayhi salam was sent to them now there was only one prophet that was sent to them and Allah says that the people of the woods denied all of the messengers. And there we explained that denying one messenger is equal to denying all of the messengers because every messenger came with the same message. So every prophet, every messenger was outstanding, was perfect, was sinless, was truthful, never lied, never deceived, never cheated. Again, we spoke last week in detail, very good looking, and very attractive so that people would be uh, uh, sort of pulled towards them. People would be inclined towards them. When people say Ayyub alayhi salam uh, had an illness that was na'udhu billah repulsive, that goes against the station of prophethood. This is why many scholars have said that the illness Ayyub alayhi salam had wasn't apparent on the skin, like rheumatism, for example. A person has got an illness from head to toe, you could be suffering, but rheumatism isn't visible. So you're in pain, you're in difficulty, but it's, it's very far-fetched to think a prophet would have an illness where there's ulcers all over his body and there's insects crawling out and he's picking them up. This goes against the shan and the status of any Nabi. 
and there is no mention of this in the authentic sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that Ayyub alayhi salam suffered in this manner. Otherwise, it goes against the station of prophethood and a Nabi. A Nabi is a truthful person. A Nabi is a handsome person. A Nabi is a person of a good social standing, a person of honor, of dignity, that people are impressed by this individual. He shows miracles many a times. He passes the message of Allah onto the people. It, it, it goes against the station of prophethood uh, for a Nabi to be suffering in this manner. Yes, a Nabi can suffer an illness. Our Prophet did become ill, not, on, not once on many occasions. He was also under the influence of sihr and black magic as well. But the main thing is, this did not intervene between him and his prophethood, the messengership that he was sent with. So, over here, the whole idea is to bring people closer so people to become inclined. And it doesn't make sense for a whole 17 years uh, or 18 years the hadith mentions Ayyub salam was suffering with this illness. So, same over here, Dhul Kifl alayhi salam, Al Yasa'a alayhi salam, both of these prophets, despite us not knowing much information in regards to them, one thing we know for sure, they were outstanding, they were truthful. They were innocent, they were honest, they were perfect in their approach. Now, the Quran mentions them alongside the Anbiya alayhim wassalam. So, the most common opinion amongst majority of the classical uh, mufassirun and the commentators of the Quran say that both Dhul Kifl and Al Yasa'a, both of them were prophets and Nabis of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the general opinion there have been certain scholars of tafsir who have differed over here and they have said no um, they have been mentioned alongside the prophets but they say they weren't prophets they were pious people they were men of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they were pious people they were very very just allah appointed them as rulers in their communities and ibn jarir al-tabari for example he has chosen to remain silent on the matter. He said, well, I, I'm not going to say they were prophets. I'm not going to say they were saints. I'll just have no comment on this because I'm not so sure. But there have been some who have mentioned that they were not prophets and they were pious people. Now, why would they say this? So they present, uh, in evidence, they present a narration. What narration do they present? So Ibn Jarir, for example, has mentioned uh, from Mujahid Rahmatullah, Mujahid is a great scholar of the Quran. He says that Al Yasa'a was a prophet. So he says Al Yasa'a was a Nabi. So what happens is when he became old, he decided that he's becoming old now. He wants somebody to continue his message uh, to the people. And within his lifetime, he wanted to appoint somebody. So he became very old, he became ill, and he's nearing the end of his life. So he gathered his community, and he wanted to see who is the best person to appoint as a deputy uh, before I leave. So he said, whoever I find three conditions, three qualities in anybody, uh, that person will be selected to uh, take responsibility, kafala, and of, of, of my people. وَكَفَّلَهَا زَكَرِيَّ Like the Quran says, كُلَّمَا دَخَلَ عَلَيْهَا زَكَرِيَّ الْمِحْرَابِ وَجَدَ عِنْدَهَا رِزْقَةً So, Zakariya took care of Maryam. وَكَفَّلَهَا زَكَرِيَّ So over here, who is going to take kafala of my community? Uh, he said, three things I want to find. 
So what were the three things he was looking for? I wanted, he wanted to find somebody, a person that is Yasumun Nahar, who fasts during the day, Yaqumul Layl, who prays in the night, Wala and doesn't get angry. Doesn't get angry. These three things. So one person stood up. A person stood up and said, if you're looking for somebody with these three qualities, I have these three things in me. I fast during the day, I pray during the night, and number three, um, I don't get angry easily. Uh, so he said, okay, okay. The following day, he asked the same question, that I want somebody from this gathering who has three qualities, fasting during the day, praying during the night, doesn't get angry. The same person stands up. Third day, he repeats it again. And on the third day, the same person stands up and then he was appointed to be the person who will now take over this community of Prophet Al-Yasa'a. Thus, his name was Dhul Kifl. Kifl, Dhu in Arabic, Dhu means uh, the people, person of. Like in Urdu, we say Wala. Okay. Dhul Kifl, yani kafalat karne wala. The person who did, who took over and took guard and control over the people okay dhul qarnain do singwala okay so dhu dhunurain uthman ibn affan radiyallahu ta'ala anhu was known as dhunurain meaning the possessor of two lights okay because he had two daughters of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam so over here dhul kifl is the one who took us this is again remember this is not the mainstream opinion this is the opinion of those who say that Dhul Kifl wasn't a prophet. He took over after a prophet. He was given this position as a deputy of Al-Yasa'a alayhi salam. And this is the story and the narration that they have uh, mentioned. And Ibn Jarir al-Tabari and others have also mentioned this as well. Now, some of the books of Tafsir go even further. Al-Bidayah wa Nihaya, Hafiz Ibn Kathir, Rahmatullah has mentioned another narration uh, to, to kind of support this view. And where he mentions that Iblis decided to go and, and test this person and this individual to see, okay, he prays uh, during the night, and that's quite visible. And secondly, uh, he fasts during the day. But what about this thing about him not getting angry? Well, maybe no one's making him angry. How, how do we know that he doesn't get angry? So Iblis decides, he gathers his shayateen. This is a narration mentioned by uh, in Al-Bidayah wa Nihaya. So he gathered his shayateen. And he said, look, you know, we need to test this person out to see, you know, let, let, let's see what the reality of this is. We can try and, you know, make him lose this quality, deviate him a little bit, try and take him off track, um, you know, anger him. So the, one of the shaitans decided to adopt the, the figure of a sheikh, an old man who was very, very poor. So according to this narration, this pious man, Dhul Kifl, he had a certain time in the day where he would take rest. So he was a very busy person. Now remember, he's praying during the night. During the day, he's fasting. The rest of the day, he's taken a huge responsibility of the whole community. He is the leader, he is the judge, he is the caretaker, he is the guardian. So he is very busy dealing with the people's issues. So there was a certain time in the day when he would do qaylula, when he would take a, an afternoon nap. What do you call it? Siesta? Is that what it's called? Yeah. So this is a small nap he would take and that's where he would get his energy. So Dhul Kifl goes to sleep at this time. Whilst he is resting, this Madhulum Fakir Sheikh 
Iblis, he comes and he knocks on the door. And he knocks on the door and he wakes him up. I said, what is it? Because I'm, I'm very poor, I'm destitute, I've got a very sad story I need to share. So he invites him in and he starts telling his story and he says, between me and my people, we've had this dispute and it's been going on and they've oppressed me and they did this to me and a, a really sad story he makes up. And he, he tells like the, all the lies, but it's a really, really sad and emotional story and look what they've done to me and look what, you know, what's happening to me and I'm going through this difficult time and I need someone to just listen to me and hear me and give me some kind of support. And he goes on and on and on. So much, the, the whole idea was to keep talking until the time for Qailullah is over, his sleep time is over. Anyway, so when he realized his sleep time was over, time had passed, the people had come to now, uh, you know, for, for the appointments and other things that were settled between Dhul Kifl and his people, he realized, you know, uh, this is my, my job is done for today. Anyway, Dhul Kifl listens to this sheikh and says, okay, uh, later on, when I sit between the people and I'm actually dealing with these kind of issues, you come, I will help you get your right, okay? You present your case then and I will assist you and ensure that the oppressors are taken care of and you are given your right. Nevertheless, obviously the shaitan doesn't go when he needs to go and he, that time passes. The, the Dhul Kifl is actually looking for this old man. Where is this old man? Can't see him. I did tell him to come. He was very needy, you know, if I can help him out. But he didn't arrive into the majlis at the time. Nevertheless, the following day what happens, uh, Dhul Kifl again goes to take his rest. Whilst he's taking his rest, knock on the door again. Okay, so he's just about lied down, he's about to sleep, somebody knocks on the door. And again, it's shaitan in the form of this old, madhloom, poor man. And he opens the door and he said, look, didn't I tell you to come to me at a certain time? He says, yes, you did. But you know, my people, they're really bad. They didn't let me come. You know, they found that I'm going to come to you. And if I come to you in the open, they'll attack me even more. So I have to come to you like this in secret. So I had no choice whatsoever. Anyway, so he tells him, look, that's the, you need to come at that particular time because that is when I deal with these cases and I can help you. There'll be people around who can help you get revenge or whatever you want. But I, you know, you need to come at that time. Anyhow, now what happens is that's two days of him not having rest. Um, so now what happens is because he missed his rest for two days, now uh, he's tired. He's not got the energy. And on the third day, uh, he started falling asleep. So he told the people before he's going to take his rest, like, look, today, don't let anybody in. Don't let anybody in. It doesn't matter who he is, how old they are, how poor they are, how madhloom they are, how oppressed they are. Do not let anybody in at this particular hour. Before, after, no problem. But at this hour, I really need to rest today. So anyhow, he takes his rest and shaitan appears at the door. He says, I need to go and see Dhul Kif. He says, no, not at this hour. Get lost from here. You can't come at this time. He says, look, I need to go in. I came yesterday, the day before, and he's told me to come and see him. I've got an appointment with him. Uh, look, not now. Come at any other time, but not now. We've been given strict orders not to let anybody in. Anyhow, this was Iblis at the end of the day. He wasn't in need of going through uh, the official door. He saw an opening, okay, went in from there, and he arrived right in front of Dhul Kifl and the internal door, and he knocks on the door, and he's thinking, hang on, didn't I tell them not to allow anybody in? So 
when he said like how did you get in i've got people standing at the door telling people not to come in how did you get in and uh, he went to Dhul Kifl goes to the door he checks the door the door is locked the second door is locked the men are still standing outside he's thinking how did, how did you get in and then he realizes oh are you the enemy of allah meaning iblis because you're the enemy of allah you're no sheikh you're no mazloom you're no fakir person and he says yes i am he says why i've been doing this he goes i've been doing this to try and get you angry to try and annoy you but you've been patient throughout and now I realize why you've been called Dhul Kifl and you've been given this responsibility because you truly have these three qualities. The first being fasting during the day and tahajjud uh, during the night and not getting angry. What's interesting is there's a very similar story like this related regarding Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullah alayhi. Uh, Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullah alayhi and another scholar. There was a mention regarding two scholars where somebody said that so-and-so scholar has got a lot of hilm, uh, forbearance and a lot of patience and tolerance. And somebody said, no, 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 that scholar is more tolerant. So the two friends were fighting amongst themselves to say, who is more tolerant? So one of them said, let me test this out. So again, a very similar story. It's quite interesting how similar it is in, uh, in, in actual fact, where it was again the same time of the qaylula, the afternoon nap, uh, and this person decides to come and knocks on the door and the imam says look this is my sleep time and you know what why would you come at this time and he asks a, a question that's quite ridiculous it's not your harem with all the details and yes i know what we, so he he knocks on the door and he says look i was about to sleep you've disturbed me but go on say what your question is he says do you know what i remember the question when i came here but what, just as you've opened the door i forgot what the question is so how annoying is that? I mean, imagine what we would do if somebody was to do that to us. So the Imam says, okay, no problem. When you remember, come back. So the Imam goes to sleep again. And as he falls asleep, he comes back and he knocks on the door. And he says, uh, yes. So he's woken him up again. I remember the question. So he goes, yeah, the question is, oh, I actually remembered it. But now, as I'm about to tell you, I forgot the question. So he says, okay, that's fine. He goes back to sleep. When he falls asleep again, third time he comes and he does the same thing. Fourth time he comes again and he says, look, now I've remembered the question. He says, what's the question? He says, the question is the, the excretion of an animal. Is it sweet or sour? This is my question. Now, is that, <laughs> imagine somebody, okay, first of all, coming and disturbing somebody three, four times, and when they say it can have come as if it's really serious, and this is the question. So now look at the Imam, he doesn't get angry, okay? No F words, no B words, nothing at all. He doesn't bring the rolling pin, nothing at all, okay? He's calm. And he's, he even answered by saying that, is that your question? Because yes, this is my question. So he said, he actually responded. He said, when it's fresh, it's sweet. And when time passes, it goes sour and bitter. So this person, obviously, he wanted to test the patience of the Imam. He says, what? Have you tasted it? How do you know? You've actually tasted it. Look at how he's approaching him, how he's trying to make him angry. He says, it seems like you've tasted it. You know, that's a ridiculous answer. Are you trying to say you've tasted it before? He goes, no. 
So he goes, well, how did you come up with this? He says, well, we notice when an animal excretes, normally flies sit around it and sit on it. They eat from it, they take from it. But when it's been there for some time, there's no, we don't notice any flies. And flies normally go to sweet things. So from this, I concluded that you wanted to know about the taste, I gave you the answer. And then he begged him for forgiveness. He says, please forgive me, O Imam. This wasn't my real question. I didn't want to know this. My friend dared me and we had this argument. Who is more tolerant, you or the other scholar? And I was saying it's the other scholar, but today I've realized you are the more tolerant one and you have so much sabr, patience and forbearance. Nevertheless, I remember this because this story was quite similar. So we mentioned this incident because those scholars, and they're not large in number, who have said that Dhul-Kifl was a pious person, they've used narrations like this to say that he wasn't a Nabi. But mainstream scholars, generally the books of Tafsir mention that the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the Anbiya alayhimu salatu wassalam, alongside them mentioning Dhul-Kifl indicates that Dhul-Kifl was a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, there is also another narration regarding Kifl. Ibn Kathir rahmatullahi mentions from the Musnad of Imam Ahmad. The important thing to remember here is there is no link between Dhul Kifl and this Kifl. They've mentioned it in the book. Now, people can get confused by hearing this because, because this person's name was Kifl. A lot of the books of Tafsir have mentioned this. So I'll tell you the story and you'll be able to understand yourself why this has no link whatsoever. So this is mentioned in the Ahadith. Mustad of Imam Ahmad has uh, reported this. There was a person in the Bani Israel, his name was Kifl. He committed every sin you can imagine. There wasn't a sin that he hadn't committed. One day, there was a woman that came to him and she was desperate for money. She was going through a very difficult time. She needed money. And he goes, okay, fine. If you want me to give you money, you'll have to allow me uh, to have relations with you. Now, this woman had never done anything like this before, but sometimes desperation leads you to certain things that you would never imagine. This is why there is a narration, although the scholars have said it's not authentic. Uh, so the, the ulama of hadith say the meaning is sahih, Although the narration, the, it's not authentic, uh, but the meaning is correct. And that is also possible for you to get a narration. The chain isn't correct, it's not authentic, it's not reliable. But the meaning is sahih because we can co corroborate it and we can find other narrations to support that. So this is one of those. That many a times poverty leads to kufr. Don't we see in many countries missionaries working where do they go? They know these people are vulnerable. They're poor, they don't have anything. So give them food, give them drink, give them housing, give them the Bible. Okay? And many a times, this poverty leads to kufr. And we're seeing it. And even now, people, when you're in a financial difficulty, a lot of people resort to all sorts of things. People resort to gambling, people resort to drinking, people resort to loans. And then it, it, one thing leads to another. 
and then that leads to something else and that leads to something else and that could then eventually lead to kufr may Allah protect us all so this woman she was in a difficult situation I'm not trying to justify that when you're in trouble you go towards haram it's just something that normally tends to happen and this woman was in difficulty she came to this person called Kifl in Bani Israel he was very sinful but he was wealthy and he said look the only way I'm gonna give you money is you have relations with me so she agreed so now the, the, the hadith actually goes on to mention it's 60 dinar and the hadith mentions when they sat just like a, a, a man and a woman sit okay to have intercourse the woman it says she started shaking and trembling and she was crying and Kifl said like what are you doing many people like they, they, they thrive to be in the situation that you're in to try and commit this act why is it that you're you're shaking and you're crying and uh, you know am I, do you hate me that much or something so she says look I have never done this before in, in a haram way this is a haram action I have never committed zina and I would never want to do this but my condition is pushing me my, de my, 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 my poverty has driven me to do something like this and I would never want to do this and this was quite powerful because he had an impact on Kifl and he realized that look this woman despite her being in so much desperation and need she could have taken the money and gone and she's choosing to sort of walk away and look how scared she is and petrified she is of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala her taqwa at this time had an impact on Kifl and he decided he said look we won't do this you take the money okay you go and he made tawbah as well and he made a promise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that kifl is never going to do this ever again the hadith goes on to mention that same night kifl died he died that same night for and in the morning it was written on his door Allah has forgiven Kifl and Imam At-Tirmidhi has mentioned this Imam Ahmad in his Muslim has mentioned this and others as well why are we mentioning this story only because the similarity in the name remember this is not Dhul Kifl this is only Kifl remember what we said about the prophets in the beginning we cannot imagine a prophet or a saint who Allah has mentioned in the Quran to be a person that indulges in these kinds of crimes so it's important we differentiate I've mentioned this before books of tafsir and books of tarikh history we have to be very very careful what we take and what we don't take we don't take everything from them because it's not all authentic uh, so we have to be careful so this story has in reality got nothing to do with the case of Dhul Kifl why do we mention this because some of the books of Tafsir have mentioned this story but it's important to highlight there is no link with the two people the names are totally different Kifl is one person Dhul Kifl alayhi salam is a Nabi like we've mentioned earlier so that was Dhul Kifl like I said there isn't much detail in the Quran and in the hadith this is all we have and the second prophet is al-yasa'a alayhi salam quran doesn't mention anything regarding his life nothing quran is silent in regards to his life his people what happened 
his dua, his da'wah, nothing at all whatsoever. Similarly, in the blessed sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, there is no mention or no detail uh, of this as well. Um, this is from Surah Al-An'am. So again, listed amongst the other Anbiya alayhim salatu wassalam by saying that they were from the pious, they were from the outstanding, and they were from those who Allah give preference over all of the rest of mankind. Uh, one of those were Al-Yasa'ah, mentioned after Ismail alayhi salam. And like we mentioned earlier, وَذْكُرْ إِسْمَعِيلَ وَالْيَسَعَةُ وَذَا الْكِفْلُ وَكُلُّمْ مِنَ الْأَخْيَارِ So the greatest thing here is to understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has praised them by praising their qualities, praising their noble habits and traits, and saying that they are from amongst the outstanding. So that's about it really. If we're not going to add anything, you'll find certain books written about certain prophets and like they try to fill all of the pages, trying to look for information from here and there and everywhere. Why, when Allah has been silent on this, when the Prophet has been silent on this, why do we need to add anything from our side? Allah knows best. The stories where he gave detail, we have the detail. The stories which he left ambiguous, he left them unclear. We don't know in regards to where they were from, what they did. We don't need to add everything from our end. That's enough, that's sufficient, we believe, as it has been revealed. Now, so that's enough of mentioning regarding Dhul Kifl and Al Yasa'am. We still have time. So, what we will do is, in the Quran, there have been certain other prophets, possibly prophets, that have been indicated towards without a name. For example, um, we find in Surah Yasin, there is a mention regarding the, the messengers of Ashabul Qariyah. Everybody is familiar with Surah Yasin. Most of us try and read it every day. If not every day, at least it's probably one of the often recited surahs in the Quran. And we are all familiar with the verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to tell the mushrikeen of Makkah, relate to them the story of the people of the Qariya. What is the Qariya being referred to? Qariya, does it mean city, it means village, it means town? What is it referring to? Almost all of the scholars of Tafsir, when they speak about Surah Yasin and they speak about Al-Qariya, almost all of them, I think, they say that the place being referred to here is Antakiya, uh, and uh, which was previously known, previously known as Antioch, uh, Antakya. Antakya is southern, southern Turkey. So if you go right down to the bottom of Turkey, very close to the Syrian border, you find Antakya there. This is the area uh, which is being discussed over here. Wadrim lahum mathalan ashab al O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, tell the people of Makkah, relate to them the story of the people of Antakya, southern Turkey, very close to the Syrian border. What happened? Idja'ahal mursalun. 
when some messengers came to them. So initially, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we sent to them two messengers. Now, were these prophets or were they messengers of messengers? Both opinions are there. Some have said, yes, they were prophets because Allah is saying we sent them as Rasuls. And some say, no, these were from amongst the Hawariyeen, the disciples of Prophet Isa alayhi salam. So Prophet Isa alayhi salam was in Baytul Maqdis. And when he found out regarding the oppressive ruler who committed shirk and worshipped idols in this particular area of Antakiya, from amongst his disciples, he sent first of all two of his disciples as his messengers. So these are the messengers of a messenger of Allah. The messenger of Allah is Isa alayhi salam. He sent two of his messengers. Some of the books of Tafsir also mention their names. And there's a list of different names that have been mentioned. The most common amongst them is the first two that were sent, Sadiq and Masduq. Two messengers, Sadiq, Masduq. These have been sent, that you two go, speak to these people, speak to this ruler, tell them about the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when they arrived, Quran says, فَكَذَّبُوهُمَا The people of that community of Antakya denied them. We don't believe in you. You're not truthful people. You're lying. We don't believe a word that you're saying. So then Quran says, We reinforce them with the third one. So now Sadiq, Masduq, and a third person whose name, again, the scholars of Tafsir mention as Shalom. Salum from Salam, peace. Previously, they would pronounce the scene as the Shalom. Okay, so you've got three now. And uh, some others have mentioned other names as well. Uh, so now you've got three of these messengers who have come. They are the messengers of Isa alayhi salam. And they said, فَقَالُوا إِنَّا إِلَيْكُمْ مُرْسَلُونَ We've definitely, you're saying we've not been sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah meaning Allah told Isa alayhi salam to send us. So we've been sent by Allah in reality. Yes, we have been sent. You can deny as much as you want. إِنَّا إِلَيْكُمْ مُرْسَلُونَ Indeed, we have been sent to you. قَالُوا مَا أَنْتُمْ إِلَّا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُنَا So the people said, what's the difference between you, as, you and us? You're just like you're human beings. And remember, this is one of the reasons why many of the scholars of Tafsir have said that they were prophets, because this is a common objection made in regards to many previous prophets, where the people said that if Allah was to send a prophet, he'd send an angel. You're a human being just like us. Like, how can you be better than us? How can you tell us what to do? Why is it you get revelation? Why don't I get revelation? You're a, you're a, you're a, you're a person, you're a human being, like, just like we are. If Allah wanted to send a prophet, he'd send an angel. Little did they realize if Allah would have sent angels, they would have said, well, they're angels. They don't need to eat, they don't need to sleep, they don't have desires. How can an angel tell us what to do? So the reason why Allah chose a person, a human being, from amongst the people is so that they can, they're relatable. They have the same kind of needs. They eat and they sleep. This is the common objection they had about the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The why, why you a messenger? Quran says, Quran says, he eats food. He walks in the marketplace. He goes shopping. How can that be a prophet? Quran is saying this is the ridiculous objection that not only the people of Makkah, but many people of their prophets, they had this, this uh, objection in regards to their prophet. So again, they say the same thing. 
that uh, you're only humans like us Allah has not revealed anything you're just making it all up it's a fabrication you're just fraudsters you're, you're a huge big scum you've come to just you know stealers robbers don't believe it at all nothing there's nothing we believe about you so rather than them trying to put up all of their kind of in, in, in being very defensive and everything they said look it's very simple the messenger said it's sufficient for us to know our allah and our lord knows very well that we have been sent to you that's enough for us we're not going to stand here and try and convince you any more than we already have allah knows that's sufficient for us so allah has definitely sent us to you and our responsibility is to present a very clear delivery we've come to give our message very clearly that's it we're not going to force you that's not what allah didn't send us to force anybody our responsibility to ensure the message reaches you and that's what we're going to do we're going to pass on the message to you that's our job now the people started to disrespect them dishonor them be rude to them so quran says right first of all you liars we don't believe you secondly we feel that you're bewitched you've got you you brought this really bad omen into our town and our village like get out of here because you're going to spread bad luck over here we can sense bad luck we've got we're getting these vibes from you we're getting these vibes we don't feel good about it at all so either you go otherwise if you don't stop this what you're doing we're gonna stone you to death and you're gonna be feeling a very pain you're gonna get a painful treatment from us we're gonna beat you we're gonna throw pelt you with stones and we might even kill you so again the messengers were very calm this is your vibes keep them to yourself you're getting these vibes you're getting it from you these are from yourself you guys are the bewitched ones not us you're in the wrong you're the ones who are lost we've come to show you the guidance we've come to show you the truth and in the bal antum musrifun what just because we what because we're reminding you you're getting bad vibes from us we're doing something good and you're saying that we're bringing evil spirits and a bad omen to this town you are a people that exaggerate you've gone out of your minds like does that even make sense we've come to remind you we're not we're not we're not asking you for money we're not asking you to do anything for us we're not even we're not doing anything we're just reminding you of why you should be here what you should be doing and you've turned it around and made it as if we've come here to loot you or do something to you guys or we've got no you've got it wrong you are exaggerating you've you, you these are lies they're fabrications and it's all in your minds and you need to stop doing what you're doing now as this discussion is taking place quran then says so whilst this debate is taking place the community are being rude and offensive the messengers are trying to deliver this clear message to worship one Allah, stop the idol worship. A man comes from the distance and he's running and he passes by and he tells the people. What does he say to them? Ya qawm, ittabi'ul mursaleen. O people, 
believe in these messengers. And he backs it up. Look, I'm not just believe them. Why? Look, are they, have they asked you for any money? Are they asking you for any reward? They're not asking you for anything. And the second thing is they themselves are guided. Look at them. They have got the guidance. They can differentiate between right and wrong. They are on the right path. And then he describes himself because he believed in them. One of the scholars of Tafsir mentions the story that when these messengers came, they came across this individual first, the individual that ran from the outskirts of the city and he came in where this discussion was taking place. The name given to this individual is Habib Najjar. Most of the scholars have said his name was Habib Najjar. So Habib Najjar accepted Islam on the hands of these messengers first. He already accepted earlier. Um, he, the, one of the scholars of Tafsir have mentioned that he asked them for a miracle. But okay, you are messengers of Isa alayhi salam. Okay, how can I believe that? So he says that some of them even showed him certain miracles similar to that what Isa alayhi salam did. Habib Najjar had a son. He was born with a disability. Mentally, he was disabled from birth and they passed their hand over the child, said the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This person, individual, got complete shifa. And there were many other people that heard about this. They started lining up people that were blind. Similar uh, miracles that were given to Prophet Isa alayhi salam. Uh, the messengers of Isa alayhi salam were also aided with some of these. Uh, and th some of them have even gone on to mention reviving somebody who had passed away. Uh, we find in the biblical sources regarding uh, Lazarus, for example, you might have heard those who are familiar with studying uh, some sort of Christian tradition, you must have heard about Lazarus. When we go to Palestine, we normally come across a tomb called, known as the tomb of Lazarus. And in biblical sources, they do have this story about one of the disciples of Isa salam, who revived uh, this individual. Lazarus. Allah knows best. Again, we stick to our sources, but some of the scholars of Tafsir have mentioned this, that they were able to convince and spread the message first to Habib Najjar. He accepted Iman and Islam. Thus, now he comes running from the outskirts of the city and he comes to the people and he says, listen, people, just believe in them. Listen to what they're saying. They're not asking you for any money. They are themselves guided. And then he speaks about himself. So this is the 23rd juice, that famous black that you see at the top where the 23rd juice, 23rd juice starts. He says that, you know, and why shouldn't I worship the Allah that originated me? How can I not worship him? Like there'd be something really wrong and crazy with me if I don't worship that Allah that created me that gave me origin. I didn't exist. I was nothing. He's the one who brought me into existence. So how can I not worship him? Uh, he's trying to sort of reason with the people. And to that Lord or Allah, you are going to be returned. Should I leave that Allah that created me and start worshiping idols? So he's trying to reason with his people and train them. Look, just think about it. Use a bit of logic, common sense. How can I, the Allah that created me, what? I should leave him and man-made idols, trees, stones, I should worship them. Like, where's the common sense in this? If I was to do this, he says, imagine if I forget Allah and start worshipping idols like you people are doing, 
إِنْ يُرِدِّ الرَّحْمَنُ بِدُرِّنْ And Allah, who is my creator, who is in control of the whole universe, if he decides to harm me, لَا تُغْنِ عَنِّي شَفَاعَتُهُمْ شَيْئًا وَلَا يُنْقِذُونَ Are these idols really going to rescue me and help me? Just think about it. This is what he says to them. Okay, let's be hypothetically speaking. You guys are saying let's worship idols. Okay, I start worshipping idols. But you know yourself very well deep down these idols didn't create you. You know that. And they all agreed to that. No mushrik believes that an idol created them. Deep down they all know. And I repeat this nearly every session. The mushrikeen of Makkah, when we speak about mushriks, okay, regardless what type of mushriks they are, at the end of the day, a mushrik means what? A polytheist, meaning alongside believing in Allah, they believe in other deities. So they do believe in Allah, of course they do. Otherwise, they wouldn't be mushrik. They'd be atheists. Mushrik means to ascribe a partner. Many a time when we speak about mushriks, we only think of idols and stones and statues. No. They believe in Allah, of course they do. وَلَئِن سَأَلْتَهُمْ مَنْ خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ لَيَقُولُنَّ اللَّهِ If you ask the mushrikeen, Quran is saying, of Makkah, who worship all the 350 or 360 idols, if you ask them who created the heavens and the earth, what will they say? They say, of course Allah made it. The Lat and Manat and Uzza can't create the heavens. So of course they believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But alongside believing in Allah, they believe in these idols and these deities. So he says to them, how can I forsake Allah and believe in the idols? And if I was to find worship idols like you people are doing, and then my creator, the one you also believe that created us, if he decides to send a calamity upon me, you tell me, are these idols going to alleviate that calamity? Are they going to stop and avert that calamity befalling me? It's not going to happen. So he says to them, they won't be able to, Inni mubin. In reality, if I do what you people are saying to do, I'll be a total loser, totally deviated, and totally on the wrong track. Inni amantu bi rabbikum fasma'oon. says, I have believed in your Lord. So listen, please consider what I'm saying. I have believed, right? You want to know about me? Okay, you thought I was one of you? They've already come to me before they came to you. I've already accepted their call. So consider what I'm saying. Now, Quran doesn't say what happens next here. It skips and it goes on to what happens slight, slight later on. But the scholars of the Quran say that the people, the threat that they gave to the, the messengers, they started threatening now this individual who is one of them, Habib Najjar. So much so that they did decide to throw stones on him. So much so that they killed him and they put an end to his life just because he said to the people, listen to them, consider them. I have already become a Muslim. You guys already accept their religion. And Quran, instead of reporting that, Quran says, It was said to Habib Najjar, enter into paradise. So immediately after he's been killed, he's just been killed, and Quran is saying instantly it was said to him, Oh Habib, enter into paradise. Now, he could have just gone into his paradise as a martyr, as a shaheed, enjoyed his life, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala related to us what he said at that moment. What did he say? At that moment, Habib Najjar, when he was killed, and Allah said to him, enter into my paradise. 
Habib Najjar said, Qala ya qawmi Is I wish my people knew. What did they know? Bima rabbi How Allah has forgiven all of my past and made me one of the honorable ones. The honor, the dignity Allah has granted me by giving me Jannah and forgiving me for my past. I wish my people. So that desire, that well-wishing that he had, he still had it when he was being told to enter into paradise. And Allah loved this so much. To have this uh, well-wishing and this consideration for people and this desire for people to be saved from the wrong path and go towards the right path. Allah loved it so much that even though his utterances were in the hereafter, Allah recorded this in the Quran and we read this. Most of us read it every single day. I wish my people knew how Allah has forgiven me and made me from one of the honorable people. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, look, the people, they did not listen. They treated Habib Najjar in such a bad way. We didn't send down a huge army uh, or another huge thing from the heavens, uh, uh, an army that came down from the skies. And nor were we going to send. What was it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, In kanat illa sayhatan wahidatan fa'idahum khamidun. Allah says, We just made one scream. There was a loud scream, and all the disbelievers in one go, they were extinguished, finished. They didn't listen. They oppressed, they even killed one of the believers. They were rude towards the messengers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we didn't need to send a huge army. No more reminders came to them. That was more than sufficient. In kanat illa sayhatan wahidatan. It was just one loud scream and they were all finished and extinguished. So this is the story of the people of the Qariya. Most of the scholars, almost all Mufassirun say this was in Antakya which is uh, previously called Antioch, south, southern Turkey, close to the Syrian border. And the messengers that came to them were most likely the messengers of Prophet Isa alayhi salam. And um, the person who came from the outskirts, they give his name as Habib al-Najjar. So that is one story where we find uh, mentioned in the Quran without any names. Another incident in the Quran we find is Ashabur Rassi. Ashabur Rassi. Uh, so in Surah Al-Furqan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَعَادًا وَثَمُودًا وَأَصْحَابُ الرَّسِّ وَقُرُونًا بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ كَثِيرًا وَكُلًّا ضَرَبْنَا لَهُ الْأَمْثَالِ وَكُلًّا تَبَّرْنَا تَتْبِيرًا That's one uh, Surah Al-Furqan. Surah Qaf, Allah says, كَذَّبَتْ قَبْلَهُمْ قَوْمُ نُوحٍ وَأَصْحَابُ الرَّسِّ وَثَمُودٍ That before them, the people of Nuh denied them, and the people of Ras denied them, and the people of Thamud. So we've got two places in the Quran uh, where we have the mention of Ashab al Rasi. In both places, they've been mentioned alongside the people of Thamud. In Surah Al-Furqan, Allah says, وَعَادًا وَثَمُودًا وَأَصْحَابَ الرَّسِّ And in Surah Qaf, Allah says, وَأَصْحَابَ الرَّسِّ وَأَصْحَابُ الرَّسِّ وَثَمُودٍ So Thamud has been mentioned after in the first Surah before. So who are the people of Ashab al-Rasr? 
When we look at the Quranic verses, one thing we understand that just like Allah destroyed the people of Ad, Thamud, and also Nuh, and Ashabul Aika, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Similarly, these are people that were also destroyed. When we look at the ayat before and after, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, these were also people that denied their messengers, thus we took them to task. Some of the scholars have said, Ashabul Rasi, they were a people from the people of Thamud. So that is one opinion. So we've already spoke about the people of Thamud. Which prophet was sent to them? Prophet? Hmm? Prophet? Come on, guys. Salih. Yeah, Prophet Salih alayhi salam. We've already had a whole session on Prophet Salih alayhi salam. So some ulama say that the Ashabur Ras, they were a group from amongst the people of Thamud. However, others have said no. Ashabur Ras, they were located in a place which we now call Azerbaijan. And Ras is referring to a well. So there was a well which was known as the Ras, Ashabur Ras, meaning the people of the well. So this, there was this well in Azerbaijan. That's where these people were from. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about them. There are other stories that have been mentioned in regards to the Ashabur Ras as well. However, none of them reached the uh, stage of authenticity where we can um, relate them and say this is sort of an opinion as well. So again, there isn't much mention. We see Ashabur Ras mentioned in the Quran. Hadith doesn't discuss it much in detail. Scholars of Tafsir have given various stories, but this is like most of what I can mention to you. So either some of the scholars have said that they were an offshoot of the people of Thamud, or they came later on, they were based in Azerbaijan. Ar-Ras is referring to a well, or it's referring to an incident that took place regarding a well, and thus Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to them as Ashab Ar-Ras. The end result was that those people didn't listen to the messenger and they were also destroyed as well. So we come to the end of the discussion on Prophet Dhul-Kifl, also Prophet Al-Yasa'a, and then the Ashab Al-Qariya, Habib Najjar and his people of Antakya, and Ashab Al-Rasti. We still have some time till Salat Al-Maghrib, so we'll go back to last week's discussion to try and finish off something that we were not able to discuss and that is Prophet Ayyub alayhi salam um, went through a difficult period in his life like many of us also everybody has difficulties everybody has problems some have it in regards to their wealth some in regards to their health some regarding their family some regarding their studies some people have all of these altogether. some people have some of these some have more some have less some people's problems are apparent people know some people's problems are hidden some people are not so good at hiding their problems and some people are very good at hiding the problems but there is no one in this world who doesn't have issues doesn't have problems and as time goes on especially with COVID and everything that's happened, it's only increased and people have gone through more difficulties. We make to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants us afiyah. Allah makes it easy for us. But 
Just to understand, Prophet Ayyub was a prophet. And again, the reason why we discuss these things is to take a lesson. So, a question arises, why does Allah send calamities on people? Especially the believers. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decide to test us? And he tested the prophets. But this question always comes up, doesn't it, sometimes? You might not say out aloud, but in your mind you might think like, why is this, ha why is this happening to me? Okay, Why is this happening to so-and-so? This child is so innocent. Why is this child going through leukemia, for example? Or, you know, why have these children been abandoned? Without any mother, without any father, all the wars that are going on, all the devastation people are facing, and the difficulties people are having to go through, whether it be yourself, family members, or what you're seeing on the media, watching on the TV, on the news, you see all the time. So these questions do come to our mind. Why? Why does Allah test believers? Okay, maybe we might think, to, we might be able to understand, okay, a person who's not a believer, we might think, okay, Allah's sending upon them uh, a natural disaster, or maybe a calamity in the form of illness, or maybe bankruptcy, or any kind of thing. But believers who believe in Allah, who pray, who fast, who love Allah, who practice the sunnah, who do their adhkar, they are attending the masjid, they are trying to be good, upright citizens and doing their best to do what Allah wants. And despite that, okay, illness and calamity and uh, financial troubles and the list goes on. Okay, mental health, for example, all of these things. So let us understand in the light of Sharia, um, two things, first of all, and then we'll go on to mention uh, some other ahadith. So two reasons, first of all, we can understand why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends these calamities. One, number one, is to elevate your status. That is one thing we learn from the hadith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends upon you a tragedy. It could be losing someone who's very close to you. It could be losing your job. It could be failing your driving test, for example. It affects different people in different ways. One of the reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes you face these things in your life is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you. Now you might think that's a bit like, if you love somebody, why would you send upon them an affliction? Yes, this is true. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you so much, so much that he found you deserving of this blessing. I call it a blessing in disguise. We call it a calamity. Okay. But it's a blessing in disguise. Why? Because when he looked at your life, he found that your good deeds were there, not to say there's no good deeds, your good deeds were there, but they weren't sufficient to help you reach the high and the lofty status that Allah wants you to achieve. Allah wants you to achieve a very high and a lofty status in the hereafter. Your lifespan and your good deeds are not enough for, to get you there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided, okay, his, his life or her life isn't that long. The good deeds are limited. There's only so much a person can do. Okay, there's another way where I can fast forward this person to this high and lofty status and make you deserving. And that is by sending a calamity upon you. 
It could be in the form of an illness. It could be a tragedy of losing a beloved one. It could be you failing your test or not achieving the grade that you wanted despite putting all your effort in. And then what happens? A person when it comes does sabr, is patient, believes in destiny that good and bad comes from Allah. Allah is all wise. Whatever he does is full of wisdom. I don't understand why this is happening. But I believe that there's some good in this. And as a result of this, your status is elevated so much higher, much more higher than you could have earned through tahajjud, through hajj, through sadaqah, through fasting. And we find this in a hadith the Prophet ﷺ mentions. Hadith is an authentic narration in Abu Dawood. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appoints for you a very high and lofty rank in Jannah, but your good deeds are not sufficient to get you there. Now what? Now what? Just decide to give it to somebody else? No. Allah loves you. He wants to give it to you. So what does he do? Allah tests you then either in your health or in your children or in your wealth and then Allah is the one who gives you the ability to be patient upon this until a time comes by you being patient upon that calamity you've reached the high lofty rank of Jannatul Firdaus that Allah had already decided for you so can we see how it's a blessing? Okay, so this is one of the reasons why Allah sends calamities on anyone in the world. So to you and me, at the end of the day, we all belong to Allah. The universe belongs to Allah. There is no one more compassionate, no one more kind, no one more wise than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes we try to be the all compassionate and try to speak on Allah's behalf. Does Allah know better or do we know better? Does Allah love humanity more or do we love humanity more? Don't we say that Allah loves us more than a hundred times more than our mothers? This is just a figure of speech. Hundred, this is putting a limitation. Can we limit Allah? No. Allah loves us, okay? He's the one who created us. He knows us and he created everything. He can do what he wants with us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do what he wants, number one. Number two, Allah never oppresses. He actually said he doesn't need to. But he's made this declaration, Inni Allah has said, I have made oppression forbidden upon myself. And I've also made it haram upon you, so don't oppress. Imagine Allah is categorically saying in this hadith Qudsi reported by Imam Muslim in his Sahih, that I have made oppression haram upon me. I will never oppress. So this what's happening in the world, Allah subhanahu, this is not oppression. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is causing this to happen. Yes, people oppress, but Allah is not an oppressor. When people say that uh, the concept of God being evil or allowing evil in the world, so much suffering, okay? Allah never oppresses. He will never ever oppress. He has made this very clear. So one of the reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does this is to help you reach 
Jannatul Firdaus, that high lofty rank that he wants you to reach, your good deeds, your lifespan isn't long enough. So he sends this as a blessing in disguise uh, so that you can make sabr. Number two, another reason why we learn from the hadith, why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends calamities, bala, is for the expiation of sins to forgive you. Where do we learn this? Again, from the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, reported by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, Ibn Mas'ud somebody very close to the Messenger وسلم, he says, وسلم, I entered upon the Prophet وسلم, and he was very ill. He was ill. He was going through pain, difficulty. فَقُلْتُ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ O Messenger of Allah إِنَّكَ لَتُوعَكَ وَعَكًا شَدِيدًا O Prophet of Allah I've seen people get ill but you're, you're looking like very ill Your fever is very high قَالَ أَجَلْ The Prophet said Yes, you're right إِنِّي أُوعَكُ كَمَا يُوعَكُ رَجُلَانِ مِنْكُمْ When I get fever, I get the fever of two people When you guys have fever, you have fever for yourself Whenever I have fever, it's double normally. More, it's like two people getting fever, I get. And then Abdullah al-Mas'ud says, O Prophet of Allah, you're getting this, why? Right? You'll get double reward. You get double illness. Your fever is intense times two. So you get double the reward. He says, yes, of course. Then he says, he turned it away from him. He says, okay, I've got my reward, but this is not just for me. The Prophet then went on to say, The Prophet said, any Muslim who undergoes any kind of pain, anything that is even as minute as the pricking of a thorn. When you go by a rose bush and the stones on there, okay, and you get pricked by it, does it hurt? Not really, okay? So the Prophet said, even that inconvenience, Allah will not let it go by. Even that little prick that you got, Allah will cause your sins to be shed. Just like leaves are shed from the tree, every time you go through any pain, any difficulty, headache, stomach ache, okay, you're finding it, you've just had a meal and you're getting indigestion, for example, heartburn. These are daily things that we, you think Allah doesn't know? Allah, doesn't, Allah, Allah, Allah knows all of these things. You can't tell people what you're going through. Okay, these are very minor things. They're not even things that you're going to tell people about. But Allah is rewarding you and forgiving your sins on each of these things. Each of these things. Sometimes you're walking and you just slip. Okay? You forgot about it. Allah doesn't forget. Allah has forgiven your sins on that, just that slip that you made. Each time you feel any kind of pain, and the lowest degree of pain has been mentioned, a shoka, the prick of a thorn, which doesn't actually hurt. It's just a little prick. So any, anything beyond that that you can imagine, whether it be a headache, toothache, okay, toothaches are quite bad, aren't they? Yeah? 
Now, when you're going through that toothache, you're just thinking about the toothache. You're thinking about the dentist. You're thinking about clothes. You're thinking about what shall I do? What shall I read? Right? But at that time, your sins are being forgiven. And the more the pain, the more sins are being forgiven. And your status in the sight of Allah is being elevated. If you're doing sabr, that is. Okay? Any pain, any difficulty, any inconvenience that you go through in this world, the Prophet ﷺ says, just like the leaves fall from the tree, your sins are being shed. Is that a blessing or not? That doesn't mean we should ask for pain. That doesn't mean we should ask, no. That is something we've been told not to do. There is one hadith the Prophet says, Anybody in the path of Allah suffers a headache and you make sabr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive all of your previous sins as long as you are patient. Now, alongside all of these things, we find that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also mentions Look how considerate and compassionate Allah is. So you, you're a young person and throughout your life you've had a habit of attending the masjid, reading the Quran, maybe going for hajj, spending in charity. Now one of two things can happen. Okay, this could happen to a young or an old person. You have decided now to go and travel. Whether you've gone on a religious journey, you've gone out with your family, you're in Safar. Now in Safar, I, I remember we were in Maulana uh, Ibrahim, they will ask, uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate his rank. Many a times in the ulama talk, he relates an incident. He had very good relations with Sheikh Zakaria, rahimahullah, the author of Fadailul Amal. And he says, I used to write to him. And many a time when we would be traveling, uh, we have the mamulat. When we're out in Jamaat, we have to do the mamulat and complete, you know. And we have many mamulat reciting Quran, making dhikr, reading Durush Sharif, making dua, tahajjud, awabin, chash, and all of these things. But sometimes when the intensity of travel, you can't always keep up with everything. So he says, I wrote to the Shaykh Rahmatullah Hazrat, this is what happens when we're traveling. You know, what should I do? The Shaykh Rahmatullah responded, very simple response, and it's very clear. I have heard it so many times from Sheikh Ibrahim, many, many times. The Shaykh Rahmatullah responded, Safar Uzarhe. Safar Uzarhe. Safar is, is an excuse. Even Salah, four rakat becomes two rakat. Allah is very kind. So if you've gone on a journey and you're not able to carry out your regular practices, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you the reward of all of them without you doing them. And also if you become ill or become old, so because of illness, you can't now perform all the rakat. You can't now spend the money. You can't go for hajj every year. You can't fast the way you used to. That's fine. Allah says you don't need to because you've got an illness. This illness has come from Allah. So you're getting rewarded. But all that reward you used to get before without you doing those actions, Allah is going to carry on. Your account is still ongoing. Because Allah knows, if you didn't have the illness, you would have. So sometimes we think, oh, why have I got this illness? I can't do this. Okay, why have I got this problem? I can't attend the masjid like I used to. I can't go for the regular hajj, for example, I used to. I can't spend or fast the way I used to. 
Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving you all that reward that you used to do. He's giving, this is a promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also we find uh, the many other ahadith as well similar to this. So this sort of gives us an idea of this is a blessing in disguise, these calamities. And sabr is something. For every good deed, we have scholars Sulaiman ibn Qasim used to say, every good deed has a reward which is recognized, which is known. You told, you get 10 rewards for this, 20 for this, 30 for this, or you'll get this for this, you'll get a palace, you'll get a tree, except sabr. Sabr is one action which there's been no specific reward mentioned. Rather, Quran has said, Allah will reward the patient ones without any limit. He will not, there's no limit. Unlimited. There is no cap on this. He'll keep rewarding and rewarding and rewarding. This is why one thing is very important that I know we've heard many virtues of being patient and calamities, but we should never ask for sabr. Because if you ask for sabr, you're asking for a calamity. Okay, when the calamity comes, then ask for sabr. But don't ask for sabr before the calamity because you can only do sabr on a calamity. So in the meantime, what should we ask for? Afiyah. The most important thing, the Prophet said, after Iman, the greatest blessing a person has is Afiyah. This is why we find the dua of the Prophet every morning and every evening three times we should read this dua Allahumma aafini fi badani Allahumma aafini fi sam'i Allahumma aafini fi basari la ilaha illa and three times Allahumma aafini fi badani Allahumma aafini fi sam'i Allahumma aafini fi basari la ilaha illa and Allahumma aafini fi badani Allahumma aafini fi sam'i Allahumma aafini fi basari la ilaha illa Oh Allah grant me aafiyah in my body Oh Allah grant me aafiyah in my hearing Allah grant me afiyah and good health in my sight. La ilaha illa ant. There is no God except you. Three times morning and evening, we should recite this dua and we should be asking for the, uh, the afiyah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another very powerful way to save yourself from calamities. Obviously, no one wants to be in a calamity. We know a calamity is a blessing in disguise. But we shouldn't ask for it. We should ask for afiyah. And one powerful way to save yourself from calamity is a prophetic prescription. The Prophet ﷺ says, if you want to protect yourself from illnesses, from calamities, very simple method. Man sahiba balain. The Prophet ﷺ says, whoever sees anyone in any calamity, whether it's a car accident on the motorway, whether you see somebody in a wheelchair who's broken their leg, whether it's somebody going through a divorce, whether it's somebody who's failed a test or become bankrupt or lost a beloved one, any kind of tragedy, illness, calamity that you see. And at that time of seeing that calamity, you say, Alhamdulillahilladhi aafani mimma abtalaka bihi wa faddalani ala kathirin mimman khalaqa tafdeela. All praise is due to that Allah who saved me from the calamity he's placed you in and granted me preference over much of his creation. The hadith says, The hadith says, for the rest of your life, Allah will protect you from that calamity. For the rest of your life, you will not suffer that calamity. 
This is in the hadith, the Prophet said in the hadith of Tirmidhi, authentic narration. So if you see somebody in any kind of difficulty, this is a guaranteed, strong, powerful fort around you. It's like a force field. From the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, you see anyone in any kind of difficulty, calamity, you read this dua, Alhamdulillahilladhi aafani mimma abtalaka bihi wa faddalani ala kathirin mimman khalaqa tafdila. The hadith says, Ufiya min bala. You will be granted immunity, protection, afiyah from that calamity as long as you live in this world. As long as you live you will not face that difficulty. So many of the Anbiya wasalam, when we look at their lives, the hadith actually tells us, somebody asked the Prophet sallallahu from all the people who faces the most calamities and most difficulties. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Al-Anbiya, the Prophets, and then Al-Amthal, Fal-Amthal, and then the people after them, and then the people after them. According to your religiosity, how closer you are to Allah, Allah decides to test you. And this test is not necessarily a calamity. It's a blessing in disguise as a result of which you uh, shed your sins. It's a cause of the forgiveness of your sins and raising of your status in the hereafter. Finally, we mentioned there was a person once he was walking by. He was bold. He didn't have any hair. And he was blind. At the same time, uh, he ha had leprosy and he couldn't walk. He was paralyzed. And he was making a dua and saying, Alhamdulillah, oh Allah, you've blessed me over the rest of your creation. Somebody heard him and said, What blessing have you got? You don't have any hair. You're paralyzed. And your skin is in such a bad condition you can't see what blessing have you got i can't see any blessing and he said alhamdulillah allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted me lisanan dhakiran wa qalban shakiran wa badanan ala al-bala'i sabira allah has granted me three amazing things lisanan dhakira a tongue that always remembers allah qalban shakira my heart is always grateful and a body that undergoes calamities and is patient upon this. This is why we find in the hadith of Tabarani, uh, that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam has said, whoever has been granted four things, you've been given the good of the world and the hereafter. Good of both the worlds. Number one, qalban shakiran, a grateful heart. Lisanan dhakiran, a tongue that always remembers Allah. Badanan alal bala'i sabira, a body that undergoes calamities and is patient upon it. And a, 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 a spouse that does not betray you, that is honest with you in your wealth and in your dealings. If you've got these four things, you've got the best of the dunya and the akhirah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding. Insha'Allah from next week, we'll be starting the story of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. We'll probably cover it in five parts, insha'Allah.